Sunday's Tech Light for June 6, 2017. I am Lee. I am back with my wife, who is sitting in the basement here with me. So it makes it kind of awkward that I'm having a one-sided conversation. But she's busy playing a video game that we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, we have the AC blasting because it's hot here. It was hot in Japan as well. Uh, on average, 33 degrees a day with the humidity of the jungle. Good times. I have not sweated like that in my entire life, perhaps. Uh, let's talk about some video games. What uh, what I saw picked up in Japan. Uh, what's going on with E3 this year? Some predictions, and uh, you know, the, this is the most wrong podcast of the year, where everybody, uh, you know, at this time of year, wildly speculates as to what we can expect to see, uh, and you know, so, you know, maybe a quarter of it is right, less if you're Michael Pactor. And then, uh, you know, you get to see the, the stage presentations and you're either underwhelmed or overwhelmed or completely surprised or swerved. And uh, Nintendo got out of the gate today with a, a, with a Pokemon Direct that uh, people have mi- mixed feelings about for one reason or another. And we'll talk about that in a moment, too. So first off, Japan. Uh, that was our, th- our third time going there. Uh, we have some friends out there that we we uh, have visited the previous two times we went and uh, can stay with them and have some have some good times. Uh, had a real good plan for the trip this time around where we're kind of moving in one direction. Uh, we started out in Osaka, moved up to Kyoto, to Nara, to Yokaichi, Nagoya, and then eventually to Tokyo uh, where we concluded our adventure. Uh, lots to see. We're real busy in the first seven days and kind of burnt out in the last few, but it's nice to uh, kick back and uh, relax in Tokyo where things are so close to you that at any given time, if you're like, ah, let's call it quits, uh, you absolutely can't. What did I see this time in Japan that I hadn't previously? Well, we hadn't really spent a lot of time in uh, Osaka previously, just a, just a day uh, on our previous trip. So that's a that's a cool place. It does have a different vibe to it, definitely, than, uh, than Tokyo does. Uh, I do recommend it. It's kind of cool. Uh, arcades all over the place. What's new? What's cool? So... Kind of a lot of the same. The thing I, I, I noticed on my last trip to Japan is there are always some kind of strategy RPGs uh, that, and of course, of course, Japanese arcades, you have some kind of membership card or uh, you have different games, I think, have maybe different phone apps or membership cards. Uh, someone can, can correct me if they know what I'm talking about. Uh, where you kind of track your own progress in an arcade machine. So it's not like you're popping in 100 yen and starting from the ground up every time, as you do in traditional arcades. It's you're, You are kind of working towards something. So if you have $10 to blow in a couple hours uh, and a machine is open to you, you get some drinks from the vending machine, you light a cigarette, uh, and you're playing for a bit. And a lot of these games are online as well. So if you are 100 kilometers away, uh, you know, you're playing Mortal Kombat with your friend from Vietnam. Uh, if you're you, you're a city away from someone... Uh, and you you know you have a time of the day where after school or work or whatever it is uh, you meet at the local arcade and you're playing with that other person without them having to catch a train 100 kilometers to you. That's very very neat. Uh, and there's a Gunslingers game which is either correct me if I'm wrong. Square Enix did this Gunslingers game and it's either so popular that it's still very readily available and played five years after it's come out, or there maybe is a newer version of it. I couldn't really tell because either way it looks very futury. Uh, the same thing with, with rhythm games. Uh, I did notice that the current Project Diva machine uh, is the same one I've maybe seen a couple years ago. I don't know if there is a, an updated one. There are definitely new rhythm games. Uh, one with a like a round circle with buttons around the edge that you tap with white gloves if you're a badass. Uh, you know, the Tyco drum machine uh, games and stuff like that are all, all pretty standard. They just update the playlists on that. Why, uh, you know, update or fix what uh, isn't broke. Uh, the Gunslingers game is is super cool. Uh, it's a standing arcade game, which, which again you can play online with other people. You kind of party up with different uh, different members, and uh, the game is is somewhere between an RPG and a light gun game, where different orientations of holding the gun uh, and and abilities and stuff are, are used. It seemed like a headache to try to figure out, so I didn't actually end up playing it, but I had it described. 
uh, to me by uh, by Krista's friend, and uh, it's, it sounds like a hoot. Uh, other than that, uh, all the same fighting games are still still pretty popular. Tekken I was seeing being played quite a bit. Uh, Pokken is less in the arcades now, but definitely featured heavily in malls and near Pokemon centers, of which we visited a few. Uh, the two bigger ones in Osaka and, and uh, in Tokyo, kind of in the northern part. Um, and and Pokken seems to still be popular there. And then, of course, as of today's announcement, we know that it's coming to the Switch. So uh, for all those people that missed out on that game on the Wii U, it, it's a fantastic head-to-head fighter, and maybe it can finally be fully realized uh, on the Wii U, because the, the the or sorry, on the Switch, because the Wii U version, uh, when playing uh, uh, multiplayer on the on the same console, had the issue where uh, first of all the frame rate drops to half, and one person's using the gamepad because it's a perspective fighting game where you're always over the shoulder. So hopefully, if multiple people have it on Switches and they can link up and fight, I think is what they were trying to get across in that very convoluted trailer they showed this afternoon. Uh, that that'll be kind of cool, and uh, of course, like I said, still popular in Japan. So even if you thought Pokken, what? Uh, yeah, it's it is kind of weird to announce that. Uh, like 10 days away from the uh, release of a new IP in ARMS coming out to the Switch, which is also a competitive head-to-head fighter, not necessarily a party fighter like Smash. Uh, kind of an interesting choice, but we'll talk more about that later. Uh, so, the the fun stuff in arcades, of course, you got your UFO machines. Those are always good for, for sucking some money out of you. The table flip game was very much present. Uh, there is a Mario and uh, Sonic Olympic game uh, wherein you throw in 100 yen, and I don't know if you choose your sport... Uh, but some of it's very brief. It's like, throw the discus, and you're done. Uh, move on. Put in more money. Uh, how much how much play you get out of uh, out of your money varies vastly. Uh, and that's why I was always very curious about these, these strategy RPGs. It, just like pachinko machines, I've not met a, a, a human being that actually actively plays them. Uh, so I'm kind of just watching over people's shoulders as they play them. And they seem like any... Not necessarily a MOBA, but somewhere between a JRPG and a MOBA kind of experience. Uh, it seems like a lot of active players on screen at once. Lots of loot flying around. Uh, and there's a, a ton of these games. And they tend to come to console in Japan and never come out here. Uh, so it's almost like an entire untapped genre uh, here in North America. I don't even know what you would call it. It's, it's, it's strategy RPG, I guess, but with action elements. Um, I'm trying to remember a, a, a name of one of these things. But they're all kind of like convoluted, like... Like, sort of, not sort of Vermilion, that's a literal Sega game, Uh, but something like that. Like, sort of this, Vermilion that, uh, just generic kind of JRPG title, Uh, and they're they're everywhere. You see posters for these things, and you're like, that's just an anime character I've never seen before from an arcade game that'll eventually become a console game that I'll never know about. Uh, And that's always the fun, kind of overwhelming thing in in Japan, if, if video games is your hobby. Uh, it's not just the arcades, but going into any game store uh, and realizing that you think you know uh, the majority of of your your medium, and you just don't. Uh, there's there's tons of titles, tons of series, tons of ongoing things that are just just never going to come over here. Uh, I know a lot of localization has been happening recently with uh, Xseed, Sega, etc. titles uh, bringing over a lot of visual novels and uh, and games like that. Games that are a little more accessible, don't have a lot of gameplay in them, let's say. Um, and while those seem to be coming out like two a month, three a month, uh, we're barely scratching the surface of, of what, what exists over there. It's crazy. Um, as far as, as consoles and, and things like that are concerned, uh, the Switch does seem very popular. I'm still reading news reports of uh, people lining up around the block when they come back in stock and whatnot. Uh, here in North America, I don't feel like, d- depending on where you live, I guess, that, that kind of can change. But uh, I, I don't feel like they've been that hard to find. I think within a week or within a weekend, uh, you should definitely be able to find and, and purchase a Nintendo Switch. Uh, and any game you're looking for on it. So, uh, 
I again, I haven't I haven't really heard from other places uh, around the country here uh, in in the GTA, the Greater you know Toronto area. If it is still hard to find a console, uh, I feel like they are kind of meeting the demand in a way they didn't with the NES Classic Edition, which is a whole other kettle of fish. But uh, in Japan, of course, 3DS. Uh, is still big over there, Vita to an extent, but the thing that I've noticed in my three visits to Japan in 2013, 2015, and 2017 is that mobile gaming has completely taken over. In 2013, there was a lot of pushback to it, so a few games were coming out, but for the most part, people were still hanging on to their uh, 3DSs and, and PSPs at that time, uh, where, where applicable. Uh, in 2015, definitely more people playing tap games, playing, uh, you know, your your... Uh, anime character du jour uh, of, of like kind of standard fighting games or whatever that you, you move on from. Uh, I, I find with mobile games, usually it's you, you play it to a fault. You're like, oh, I could play this forever. Uh, and eventually you just abandon it wholesale for the next thing that comes along. And that's kind of the story of the medium. Uh, but in between my second and third trip there, uh, definitely a lot of, let's say, first parties were jumping on with that stuff. So wherein even something look at Nintendo something like Fire Emblem uh Dragon Quest Final Fantasy these were all things that had flirted uh or at least Final Fantasy uh, had flirted with mobile gaming in the past but they were trying to kind of deliver a uh console game experience in the form of a phone game uh and they've just completely abandoned that now it's it's all quick time games it's all you're on the train for 5 minutes you can tap this crap uh and and that's the story so everybody's just tap tap tapping on their phones uh whether they're chatting online or playing some kind of uh a mobile when I say online, I mean the line app, not on the internet, this newfangled technology. Uh, that's definitely something I've noticed has taken over. Uh, no switches. Didn't see a single switch in the wild. Uh, I should could have brought my own and been like that weirdo who's just holding the switch. Uh, from my understanding, uh, we had the opportunity to visit a high school, uh, and the, the friend of ours that teaches there is kind of talking with her students about the switch, and something I found very interesting is like none of them had played it or knows anybody who owns it. Uh, yet it is still highly in demand, so that's interesting. Um, but like any console video games, not not a not as big there as it as it is here. Uh, either you don't have the room, or you're never home, or you're too busy to play uh, the thing attached to your TV. So uh, different different thing altogether. Uh, so of course, uh, when you visit Japan, I highly recommend you always go to a Super Potato if one is near to you. Uh, Super Potato is a uh, what is the word I'm looking for? A franchise of uh, retro gaming, uh, let's say emporiums. Uh, they sell any matter of games, anything they get their hands on. Uh, they take utmost care with uh, with their product. Uh, I, I don't entirely know how their pricing works, because I definitely saw multiple copies of, let's say, Pokemon Green, ranging from anywhere from $5 to $15 for the cart only. I don't know what was the supposed difference between that. I don't know, maybe the lesser ones had dead batteries. I don't know what the situation was there, uh, but I noticed that, actually, and in, in when you could find multiples of a game, that they were priced kind of all over the place. And I don't know if that's how they maintain their inventory. This is fascinating to me, because uh, it kind of ties into what I do for a living, but uh, I don't know if they're pricing things as they come in. Like, we paid this this for this, this is the going price for this at this point, that is the sticker we put on it, uh, it's Japan, there's no blue collar crime, people aren't really stealing this unless they're foreigners, so bada bing, bada boom, uh, that thing's 780 yen, the next one that comes in, we paid a little more for, so now it's 1200 yen, I don't know if that's how it's working, uh, they don't seem to really use, like, a computer system when you go to buy something there, but I digress, let's talk about the store itself, uh, like I said, an emporium to gaming, they have covered every inch of the walls with either merchandise or posters, uh, the stairs themselves had posters all over them, uh, just a fun place to be around, uh, if you have interest in, in Japanese video games or retro video games, uh, it's great, if you don't, 
It's overwhelming and cool. Uh, most of them have two floors. We went to the one in uh, Nagoya this time. We have previously been to the one in Akiba. I think that's the only one I've been to multiple times. Um, all of them kind of have more of the same stuff, just the, the size and scale of the store is different. But everything is there. Uh, so anything from Famicom games, Super Famicom, obviously. Uh, everything Nintendo, everything Sega. Uh, if you're looking for Sega Saturn games, you will be shocked to see how many were re- actually released over there versus what came out over here. Uh, even the packaging and the cases of the games, you, you'll want to buy games you already have that you won't be able to play when you bring them home uh, just because they're adorable. There's Chibi Robo on the, on the GameCube. Their GameCube cases were like... Vita cases, they're great. Uh, we over here had to put mini discs in giant cases. That made sense. Uh, so stuff like that's really neat. I ended up picking up uh, a couple PlayStation games uh, that I I know that I you know I have a modded uh, PS1 that I inherited at some point here, so I can definitely play Japanese games on there. Uh, and I picked Ori uh, no Ryo Yuri uh, or My Cooking from uh, from Argent, and it was released on the uh, Sony PlayStation. Later, uh, kind of got spun into a fan made remake. Uh, in 2004, uh, the the series did, which eventually became Cook, Serve, Delicious, which is a game uh, that me and Rob have definitely talked about before, uh, which was released on Steam in 2012. So I picked up that game for the PS1. I also picked up its semi-sequel uh, called uh, Gacha Roko, which is a uh, kind of a party game with the, the same idea. In it, you are doing little mini-games to cook. You're running a restaurant. Uh, patrons come in, and they... You know, they ask you uh, for for a beer and some noodles, and and you got to make it real quick uh, with you know that old that old chestnut. Except at the time, that wasn't really a game genre as it is now. So that's a really fun game if you can uh, if you can play it somehow uh, through nefarious means or otherwise. I, I highly recommend it. It's called Ori no Ryo Yuri. If you look up um, my cooking Japanese PS One or something like that on uh, on Google, you'll definitely find it. Uh, so love the heck out of that game. Haven't actually fired it up yet, but I've uh, played it extensively on emulator. Uh, got the PS2 game, picked up Intelligence Cube, because like I said, I have that PS1 that can play Japanese games, and why not? Uh, that game cost, I don't know, 60 to $200 in North America, whereas I picked it up for under $2. Uh, doesn't involve a lot of reading, so I'm like, why the hell not? Uh, and that's kind of the rule of thumb. When you go over there, you can pick up Dragon Quest, or Dragon Warrior, as it were, uh, on the Famicom. You can pick up one through four for under eight dollars. You can pick up those four games for under under eight bucks. In North America, on average, I think those games are thirty five dollars a piece. With Dragon Warrior Four going for shit, hundred bucks, maybe more. Uh, that's kind of it's the topsy turvy world. It's the it's the mirror d- dimension. Um, sports games, stuff like wrestling games. Uh, Things like that, like Sega and like 16-bit stuff especially, anything that, like like Turtles, let's say, something that's inherently North American, uh, which could be a little more run-of-the-mill here, not necessarily Turtles, because those games are, are sought after no matter where they are, uh, but wrestling games and stuff like that, that are a, a dime a dozen uh, over here, so sports titles and stuff like that, is, is usually the most expensive stuff over there. It's the RPGs and whatnot that only a few people picked up back in the day that kind of came into reverence. Uh, in a big way later in retrospect that are now worth tons of, of money because they just weren't selling over here the way they were uh, over there. So there's just so many in circulation. And you go into a place like this and you realize with the population density uh, how, how little collectible shops and like and stuff like this can be supported. Uh, like one location in a city is enough when you consider a, a train ride away is, is 10, 15 minutes. And that's vastly interesting to me, uh, especially with collectible card stores. Like You can have a storefront. You can have, you know let's say 2,000 square feet, that's just Yu-Gi-Oh cards, just glass display 
deck, glass displays of Yu-Gi-Oh cards, or some card game you've never heard of before. Uh, and that's fascinating. That, you know, they have posters outside, and they're like, most wanted cards, bring this crap in, trade it for this crap, and that's the business. That's it. That's, you know, that's all there is. Uh, is is very very interesting to me. Uf- UFO arcades themselves, the ones that don't really have actual arcade games, but are just about uh, winning prizes and whatnot. You know, sometimes they'll have employees working on the floor. Sometimes they just won't. Uh, the ones that do usually have them. You know, they're cheering you on or giving you you pointers, which is kind of the most uh, upsetting thing. Is when they're like, you just got to do this. It's not. Don't think of it like a Western crane machine where you're trying to get the best grip on the thing to get. It. No, it's there's a trick to each one, and there's at least two to three dozen different uh, variants of the way they set up these things uh, so, so you win them. Because uh, the, the UFOs, cha- the, you know, there's the Western-style claw uh, that comes down, or there's the one that just has the two prongs on either side, like a space invader, uh, that you're supposed to use to kind of get, you know, improvise and flip a thing. Uh, really, really interesting uh, stuff that, that can be... The, that's, you know, that's such a bigger part of their culture than it, than it is here. Things we can't support. We can't do arcades that aren't redemption arcades or barcades in North America. We can't. Uh, you're driving 20 minutes to a thing that you don't give a crap about. You're treating it like shit. Meanwhile, in Japan, hey, that's your that's your arcade game. That's your console. If you want to play this game, you will not be able to own one, uh, unless you're some kind of billionaire, because uh, arcade games are very expensive. And in a lot of cases, these games are not available on home consoles. So when you're going to your local arcade, when it's five minutes away from home on your way home or whatever it is, that's your arcade. The way you treat that and the way everyone else treats that uh, is very, very important. And just that's a thing I really respect about the culture there is they they tend to understand that. That, hey, I'm not the only one using this, uh, so maybe I do wear gloves. Maybe, you know, I don't uh, smash the glass or shake the cabinet when, when things don't go my way. Uh, and that's something that we we could never get over here. Uh, and while I didn't go to any arcades that were especially busy, uh, of course the old the old thing is, is if a, a machine is super uh, you know is super busy, you don't put that extra extra quarter in. You get as far as you can. You move to the back of the line, kind of thing. Uh, so really, really interesting experience. Uh, what else did I pick up at Super Potato? Picked up. Oh, Pokemon Stadium, the the first one, the one we didn't get here. There are three Pokemon Stadium games. That's right. Uh, so the ones the ones we got in North America, just to bring everybody up to speed, Pokemon Stadium 1 and 2 were technically Pokemon Stadium 2 and 3. Uh, I believe, if I'm, quote, you know, let's let's figure this out here. So the first Pokemon Stadium that came out in Japan only had, I think, certain evolved forms of Pokemon and certain unevolved Pokemon and had maybe 60 to 70 Pokemon you could use. Otherwise, it was kind of the same game with the 3D battles and stuff. I'm not sure if the minigames were included. I need to fire that up at some point here and figure it out. Uh, but they eventually released the one that also came out here, which included all 151 Pokemon in the first game, uh, which had all the minigames and, and kind of a more to do. So I don't know what the thought process was. Uh, at some point, Japan had an elitist view of Pokemon, where if there's a Charizard, why the hell are you using a Charmeleon? Uh, and then kind of reversed their thing altogether on the, the later releases of Pokemon Stadium, as there were literal tournaments where you could only use unevolved Pokemon, as if to put it in their face, like, hey, we're all, you know, babies are cool too. I don't I don't know what, this is always very odd to me, because I remember reading about that first Pokemon Stadium, being like, what, a Pokemon... 3D fighting game? Like, you control the Pokemon? Like, like Pokken, basically, is what we thought it was when we first read those tips and tricks uh, reporting on Japanese games that, that were not announced for North America. Those were the days. Remember that? I remember trying to remember... Trying to memorize all the Japanese names of uh, the, the Gen 2 Pokemon from a tips and tricks book that I think, think I still have that I should reasonably scan and just put on the internet somewhere uh, that had all the Japanese names of the Pokemon and had, a, like, a semi-walkthrough of the first let's say four badges of gold and silver 
but all based on the Japanese thing. So nothing had been localized as far as uh, as, as Pokemon names and stuff yet. Uh, which I learned is kind of a neat thing now because Pokemon names, of course, are based on different puns and, and, and things like that. Uh, but, of course, the Japanese Pokemon names are, are vastly different and work in kind of the same way. Uh, so it's very neat to actually compare and contrast what, you know, what Bulbasaur is here and why that's funny or a pun versus what Bulbasaur is there. Uh, cool things like that. Speaking of Pokemon, Pokemon Go. Still a thing over there. Uh, and again, with the, the population density and so many people living on top of each other, there's, at any given time, three to six Pokemon spawned at all times. Uh, they had the rock uh, event going on, so we were catching Pokemon left and right. You're always between, like, three Pokestops, too, so it's it's nuts there. That and you're walking around so much that it really facilitates... Uh, hatching eggs at, at any given time. Uh, so I had fun with that. Uh, and of course, speaking of phone games, Magikarp Jump is out now, and we'll talk about that shortly. Had a great time in Japan. Uh, if anybody has any specific questions about uh, about it, what we saw there, or you're planning a trip there yourself, and, and you know, want want some pointers of uh, what to definitely uh, check out, I mean, you're going to find arcades everywhere. You're going to find UFO places everywhere. If you find uh, an, an old man in, in a back lane that's going to teach you how to play Pachinko, please accept his offer and, and let me know what that's all about because uh, it seems like a lot of fun. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, they always have really cool machines based on properties of things I like, like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and Fist of the North Star, but, you know, fuck me if I know how those machines work or what the what the fun is out of it. I know they're loud and, and cigarette smoke-filled. That's about all I know. Uh, what's very interesting with Pachinko Parlor's uh, is you never see really old men. You never see women, period. You you never see a woman coming in and out of a pachinko parlor. If you look inside, I, I don't feel like I've only walked through one once, and I'm like, I'm good. Um, I It seems like they're constantly catering to 35 to 45-year-old men. And when you kind of see the advertisements for new pachinko machines, they're kind of based on animes or, or intellectual properties from when those people were growing up. Let's say let's let's look at the '80s as the uh, the current thing. It's all male oriented. So, like I said, Fist of the North Star, JoJo. Uh, I don't know if there's Dragon Ball Z ones, but they're definitely basing them on video games now. I know there's a Metal Gear one. I know there was a, a Devil May Cry one I saw. And uh, like I said, male oriented, kind of in that age range. Uh, so at a certain point here, we're gonna we're gonna kind of bump up to the '90s, uh, and someone will have to report back if the Pachinko machines are now based on animes from the '90s and what whatever the hell those would be. Digimon? I don't know. Whatever it is. Uh, more adult-oriented, obviously. So Fist of the North Star, something a little more violent. Uh, but that's what the machines are based on. You play your pachinko, you pay real money to get little balls, and you you pachinko it up. Uh, and then, you know, word on the street is, there are places near every pachinko parlor, uh, no matter where you are, where you can exchange that for real money. And it might be mob-related. It definitely is mob-related. Uh, or you exchange it for prizes, I think it is, on the level. Kind of like a Discovery Zone uh, kind of redemption arcade kind of way where like, look at all the balls I have, and you get your ornamental sword, and you go home on the train, and you're happy as a clam. Uh, I, int- I've been there three times. I No one has been able to, to describe it to me. Uh, that being said, I haven't really asked a uh, native Japanese person, uh, hey, what, what's the deal with those? Uh, but it seems like everybody's kind of drawn a blank on it. So that's a mystery. That's an unsolved mystery of Japan. Uh, but tons to see uh, between, between shrines and parks and... Uh, taking trains and, and going shopping. There's malls everywhere adjacent to other malls. Malls upon malls. You can't you can't shop as much as there is malls. Uh, it's insane. Uh, we were staying in Osaka was next to the train station and there was at least four huge malls kitty corner to one another and like full size malls. Like uh, we're going to the mall for a day. That's one mall of these four malls. It's it's insanity. Um, 
and of course, depending on you know where you're going. Uh, obviously, when we were in, in Tokyo, you go to uh, let's say the Su- Sunshine City Mall. Uh, you know, that's a mall that has on the second floor a kind of amuse- a, an anime-based amusement park where they do uh, kind of pop-up cafes and stuff like that. Krista was having a fun time. Uh, other than that, there's a, the giant Pokemon Center is there. Uh, just I, I think there's like so VR is like a big thing. But again, based on what I said previously about console gaming not really being a thing in your home, uh, you kind of go to a place to do VR, or there's rides based on VR, not unlike Universal Studios. Um, so you kind of like pay by the hour, or you go on a ride, and you just experience VR, and it's, it's popular. They're like, shit, this is really cool. Um, for all the same reasons it is over here, except much more, uh, you know, again, a different culture around it, that you would go somewhere and, and do that. So I, the, the hygiene side of VR... Uh, it's very curious to me, especially like when you consider things like E3. I was always really apprehensive to try VR at trade events because of stuff like that. Hyperkin jokingly last year, Hyperkin made the Retron 5 and, and other such, such such things. They made a VR like sleep mask. It was basically like a visor that wrapped around your ears with elastic band. Uh, and it just put a little barrier of, of soft cushion uh, between your face and the, you know, the, the VR goggles, which are have touched numerous faces at the event. Um, and that kind of brings us full circle to, to E3 this year and uh, and what's going on with it, wherein they're letting in somewhere between 40,000-plus just randoms into the show. Uh, and, and that's fine. E3 is a cool thing, and I think it's very neat uh, for these people to experience it. If they're hyped, I hope they have the best time in the world. Uh, but from the insider track, it sounds like... Uh, if you if you didn't know, uh, E3 is primarily a trade event, and uh, a lot of people pay a lot of money to set up booths with the hope that Walmart walks into their booth, with the hope that us, uh, you know, that 50k an hour they might be spending on that booth is rectif- is rectified is justified uh, by someone walking in and and ordering that one million dollars of of product over the course of the next year. That that is what E3 is about. Is like, hey, we make steering wheels. How, how cool are these? Would you please carry these in your store or buy our patent uh, so you can make the next Forza Horizon wheel based on our patent? Please, please, God, we're spending all of our money to have this booth. Uh, that's what that show is. So when they announced that it was going to be, uh, they're going to be letting in a certain amount of, uh, of the public, a lot of those, uh, those booths pulled out straight up. Uh, because now you have people walking up to the booth that, let's say, have no buying power or interest in buying. They're just kind of shopping around and moving on. Uh, that money you're spending for that booth seems even more moot and more of a headache. And why are we doing this? Uh, and that's kind of a bummer for me because because what uh, E3 had kind of become for me in the last previous years uh, when we've gone there uh, is you're kind of touching base with with people from from here and there, kind of like you know a gaming mecca, so to speak, uh, where people from all over the country contacts you speak to via email every day. Uh, it's really neat to have everybody under the same roof and kind of go to dinner and, and and shoot the shit in person with someone that you only speak to electronically 95% of the time. Uh, and kind of leading up to the show this year, everybody got their passes and it's like, ah, E3, let's do it. Come on. It's going to be fun. And at a certain point, uh, people are just like, are are you going? I'm not, I don't know. I don't know that I'm going. I don't, should we go? Should we go? So-and-so is not going to be there. So I don't think I'll go. Okay. Well, this person's also not going. Well, I'll go if you go. Well, they're not going. So, and that kind of, uh, snowballed into nobody's going. Uh, so (laughs) most of our, uh, our very few of the people we, uh, that I deal with, uh, through work, are actually going to be at the show, uh, and that's uh, that's too bad. Uh, and, and I think there there would have you know they're they're going you know baptism by fire this year. They're saying hey, all three days are going to you know be the mix of industry plus the public. 
Uh, and on on top of that, there's going to be you know we're, the press conferences are starting as early as Saturday, so the media is all upset because they got to get there early and cover this thing. And now they're trying to get around the show floor, getting to meetings with forty thousand bodies that didn't weren't previously there. And from their point of view, and from people's point of view there who are are in this industry trying to make sales and do what they're doing. Uh, it's it's not going to be a good environment. Uh, I can't see it being that. Uh, Tokyo Game Show does something where they do they do their private days, they do their industry days, and they do their public days. And if in between that you want to pull out, you want to take your table and get the hell out of there because uh, public is not your thing, you can absolutely do that. Uh, if you want to stick around and demo things to the public, you can have a totally different staff on that day. Uh, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's a ve- you know, maybe next year what they will do with E3, whether they extend it an extra day, make it two days industry, two days public, that's all good. Uh, but but wholesale making it, we're going to lay packs on top of E3. Uh, I'm not entirely sure it's a great idea. Uh, Jeff Keighley is kind of spearheading some, uh, some events and stage shows and stuff like that for the people who are attending. And uh, my final thought on it, uh, is I will not be there this year, so please, if you do end up attending, let me know uh, how it was. I'm sure I'll get plenty of, of those impressions from Twitter and, and other people I follow or uh, uh, people I know who are making the journey over there uh, for one reason or another. Uh, and, and we'll see how it is. I just hope people who paid money get get an experience for what they paid for. I hope people aren't really disappointed. Like, if this is this all it is? Uh, I The first E3 I went to was absolutely phenomenal. The sights, the sounds, uh, you know, People get jaded to things like that. They've been going there 10 years. It's a thing that happens. Uh, the, the magic is still there on some level. To, to, to think that this, this you know, virgining industry that's uh, so young, uh, you know, that has come so far, that can just throw so much money into a convention center uh, to celebrate it and what's coming next and get people excited uh, is really, really special. And that hype everybody feels when they watch those uh, those press conferences is, is felt throughout the convention center uh, that weekend. Uh, and, and, you know, lots of smiles, lots of people having a good time. Rarely do you run into someone at E3 that's just having a terrible time of it. Uh, and that's what I'm worried about for, for the public is that, you know, are the lines going to just be astronomical? Are people going to realize that, oh, I can't see any Bethesda game? Uh, there, there have definitely been years where Bethesda is just a big black monolith. Unless you have a media or, uh, or industry way in to go see what they're actually demoing, they have nothing to show you. Uh, so as hyped as you can be for like, oh man, what do you want to see at E3? Oh, they just announced this game, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, that's a behind closed doors demo and you're just not going to see it. Uh, or it's, you know, in the case of the Wii, when that was first announced and I consider, uh, that was an industry only event. People were lining up for eight hours to see that thing to waggle, which seems so quaint now here in 2017. Uh, but that's, that's the realization. So you're adding 40,000 people to that eight hour line. Excuse me. Uh, it's, it's really a big mystery now. So I, I hope everybody has the best. I hope people who are attending from the industry and from the media find their way around and, and are, you know, not impeded. And I hope people from the public, it's it's something you, you wanted to have paid for because uh, I know those tickets are, uh, you know, not cheap, especially room and board in Los Angeles. And uh, that can quickly turn into a nightmare. Uh, not having structure to your day, just showing up at the show and seeing what you can see. Uh, I've been on both sides of it. I've done that where it's just like, let's wander the floor and, and see what I can get into. Uh, and having a day that's very structured from, from morning to, uh, 
to the show close where it's just like we're meeting this person then we're moving on to here we're meeting this person and uh that was having some guidance was uh was really good uh, and having getting to skip lines is fantastic i don't need to tell you that uh nintendo always has the media area where if you if you sign up for you know instead of standing in line for eight hours to play breath of the wild or whatever you're doing the lines were never that long uh you can you know they take you into their own booth and they're just like hey play this for 45 minutes uh and that's fantastic and uh you know that unfortunately that's the part that the the public will not be able to uh to experience unless someone on the floor is planning to give that to them i don't know nintendo's been doing this thing where they kind of focus on one thing uh so if they have a mario odyssey booth period if that's the uh if that's what's going on for 2017 and everybody gets to play mario odyssey and they're putting people through there that's awesome that'll be a lot of fun um microsoft always has lots of stuff to approach you know let's let's just run it down uh so on the show floor, there's two halls. There's the South Hall and the West Hall. Uh, you can grab a, you know, grab a, grab a map, see who's where. Uh, typically, the big three, Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony, are all kitty corner from each other in one of the halls. Uh, whereas a lot of the bigger third-party publishers, like Ubisoft, uh, EA, when they were part of it, etc., are in another. Uh, now, the thing to consider is that a lot of multi-plat games, uh, multi-platform games, can be played in the first-party booths. So if you go to Ubisoft and there's a line you know, halfway around the block for game X, that game might be playable in the Microsoft booth with nobody standing there. Uh, you know, you don't get the, you don't get to, you know, play it in the Ubisoft booth, but you still get to play it. Uh, something, you know, a lot of the, the indie or stuff, let's say, uh, was really, really approachable at the Microsoft booth and it made it a cool place to, uh, to go. Um, you know, uh, something like Bloodstained was, was playable there and there was a few people lined up and, and Hiroshi's just standing there. He's watching people play and asking them what they think of it. Uh, that's super neat. That game was multiple places on the show floor. Um, so that stuff's really cool. Uh, kind of take note, uh, as you walk around, uh, what's where and, uh, where are alternate places to play it? Um, just, just keep that in mind. If there's something you absolutely want to play, you absolutely want to see, uh, kind of measure how much time it's going to be. You can, you know, let's say Warner Brothers, uh, does, does, uh, stage presentations. So you want to see the new Mortal Kombat? You don't get to play it, but you will get to sit in a really cool air-conditioned theater, mini theater that they constructed out of scaffolding. Uh, and you get to sit there and, and for, you know, 20 minutes or so, you get to see the, the game devs talk and play their game in front of you with really crisp audio. And then when you leave, you get a t-shirt. Uh, that was great. That cost you an hour and a half of your day or four hours of your day. Uh, just keep that in mind. Uh, like when the Vita was being shown, the, uh, you know, every time I approached that line, it was like, okay, so the rest of my day is this Vita line. Uh, I'm good at that point. I'm like, I'll talk to someone who, who played it and get their impressions of it. But then I've, you know, I'm guilty of it too. I stood in line for uh, Destiny. Oh, shit. Uh, it was a Taken King, I think it was. I'm like, I want a shirt, and I want to play Destiny Taken King, because I was big into Destiny then. Uh, and that was at least a two-and-a-half-hour line uh, to, to get that shirt that I later gave away uh, and, and to play that game. But we beat the living crap out of the other team in multiplayer, and that felt cool. And I was uh, standing with people in line the whole time, talking about Destiny and what they'd seen at the show. Uh, someone I stood behind in line, I had stood behind in line at a previous show, uh, so that was interesting. Uh, Natsumi always gives away a plush animal if you get stamps on a card. Little things like that. It's like, I'm going to the Natsumi booth because they're giving away a stuffed chick. Uh, I got to play a bunch of Harvest Moon games for as long as it takes for someone to notice I am playing a game and come give me a stamp, at which point everybody immediately, rudely walks away from the game they're playing. Uh, but God love them, Natsumi, you know? Uh, E3's great. Uh, so just like Japan, if you have any questions about E3 or the surrounding area or, uh, what you should be trying to do uh, what you can do, please let me know. Comment. Anything. Anything. Please. I want to share. I want to share this knowledge. Otherwise, it's useless and it dies with me. So outside of uh, running around Japan and such, uh, I came back to, of course, the release of Tekken 7, a game I've been uh, 
really looking forward to 3D Fighters. Remember them? They're a lot of fun. Uh, Tekken 7 is an insane game. Uh, so you can unlock gear, you can customize uh, characters, not unlike you could do in a Soul Calibur game or previous Tekken games, that being said. Uh, but lots of, of weird stuff. You can get a Bullet Club shirt uh, and put it on Akuma and then give him a gun. You can give a bear a knife. Uh, and then you can take these things into the online mode and totally use them, which is fascinating to me that are they just, they come out so slowly that they're just, the balance is not an issue. Uh, I don't know really what people are thinking of that other than I know a ton of people that are picking up this game and having a hell of a time with it that traditionally play things like Street Fighter. And that's interesting. Uh, so, ha- oh, how the mighty have fallen as Street Fighter Five, you know, has Street Fighter rested on its, on its, you know... Haunch is so long just releasing a, you know, serviceable tournament fighter that other games have come up and they're like, hey, remember fun? Uh, if you look at something like Injustice 2, uh, that is a game that has fully customizable characters where, where, with stats, almost like an RPG element to it. Uh, and it's kind of the realization that while people do play this competitively in tournaments, and of course you can you can turn effects off, maybe, I don't know, uh, Never Realm games anyway are are much more enjoyed solo. Uh, either local co- local multiplayer or just people playing by themselves more and more uh, versus, you know, heavy tournament fighters like what, the fare you'd get from Capcom. Uh, and Tekken 7, I think, lands somewhere in between that where it's a fighting game that can, is deep, can be taken seriously, is balanced, has been thoroughly tested, beta tested in arcades uh, before here coming to the consoles. And, and here it is in all of its glory uh, with its fight money and its unlockables and its cool t-shirts and here it is. What do you think? Uh, and I think it's really neat. I haven't tried the uh, the, play- the PlayStation VR mode yet, which I guess I should get on. I, you know, I bought that, that $500 thing. I should probably strap it on and see what a VR mode in a fighting game is. I haven't been able to get a straight answer out of the internet, mind you, as to what the VR mode is. Are you just, like, looking at it in a theater? Like, am I sitting in the volcano watching two people fight? Or am I in first person getting punched in the face? What the hell is it? No one has been able to answer it for me. So probably should look into that myself. Uh, there's a story mode included. There are your standard arcade treasure modes, uh, verse modes, practice. Lots of characters involved. Uh, there's a DLC character that comes with the day one edition. I don't know if they have any any further plans for DLC. Um, but all the same, uh, having a hell of a time with that. Uh, other than that, another game came out called Akiba's Beat, which Krista has been playing over in the corner this whole time. Uh, you remember Groundhog Day with Bill Murray? Well, what if everybody was anime and it took place in Akiba? Uh, so the Akiba series has two previous entries, one of which came out in North America called Akiba Strip. Uh, the two, the, the, you know, the, the first game I think was a PSP game in Japan only, which were kind of bouncer-esque action games. That, that's right. You know, people called things Dark Souls this and Dark Souls that. Uh, I'm going to start referring to action fighting games as bouncer-likes. Uh, so yeah, it was basically that. There were zombies, you had to strip off their clothes to, to defeat them. That's fun. Uh, the game was kind of self-aware, and, and you could get customizable stuff, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, this seems like a much, from what Chris has played so far, uh, kind of a standard shallower affair that's kind of going for a Persona thing without a lot of the charm. She's dungeon crawling. I, it's a really strong Tokyo Mirage ses- Sessions vibe off of it, where it's kind of like a Persona light. Uh, so she's playing it as we speak. How's it going over there, Krista? You haven't been in a dungeon yet. What was that thing with all the music around it? With the... Okay. Well, you got you have a new friend with pink hair. That's kind of fun. Uh, anyway, so that's a game. Uh, you seem to be reliving the same day in Akiba as weird things happen. You go fight demons in, uh, in dungeons. And uh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, are you have, is it fun? Are you actually enjoying it? It was somewhere between a meh and a strug, uh, shrug. Or a strug, as it will now be called. Fair enough. 
it's kind of a bummer because uh, you beat the crap out of Akiba Strip and had a good time with that game, uh, punching people and tearing their clothes off. So this seems like it has a lot less of the charm, and it's unfortunate that it's sharing the same. Uh, it's it's uh, it's also kind of the battle system is more like Star Ocean, where you have straight up weapons and it, uh, you strike an enemy and go into a battle scene. And I like Star Ocean, so maybe I'll end up getting some enjoyment out of that game. Anyhow, so that's that's kind of what's been occupying my time. I picked up Fire Emblem. Uh, the new one, <laughs> Echoes, Shadows of Valencia, 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 Sweet Bag of Valencia Oranges, uh, pick that up, and uh, I'm hearing interesting things about it, of course, based on Fire Emblem uh, Gaiden, which is uh, kind of a side story, doesn't really follow the same tropes as recent Fire Emblems, it includes a dungeon crawling 3D action mechanic, which is interesting, uh, the weapon wheel is gone, rock, paper, scissors is dead, deal with it, and etc., uh, so I'm looking forward to actually getting in and playing that because uh, Fates rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know if it was the story <clears throat> or or not necessarily how casual Fire Emblem has become. Uh, but I think something about the story didn't engage me and the pairing of units and kind of the minutia of, of the in-between battles uh, upkeep that I didn't like. Uh, whereas in previous Fire Emblem, it was like, is everybody equipped? Who, who do I need out of these people to, to do this battle and go? Uh, now it's like, well, what's their relationship like? Are they married? What's their kid like? Is he hot? Should he marry this kid? Could they have a cool kid? Who's this guy? What can he become? Uh, there was a lot more of that in, a, in, in, I think, Awakening was the tipping point. Like, that's as much of that as I want. I, I ultimately want to play the strategy RPG, tactical RPG side of this tactical RPG. Um, sorry. That's how I feel. Uh, other than that, Magikarp Jump. Let's talk about that. That's a clicker for the phone. You can download it now. Check it out. It's fun. Magikarp's cool. Uh, that's it. It's uh, kind of a boiled-down clicker game, uh, or idle game, more or less. Uh, you have a fish tank with a Magikarp in it. He eats berries. You unlock items that increase the percentages that your berries give you. You can also train. You can buy new training things and new berries, and the numbers get bigger, and then the numbers get bigger, and the numbers get bigger, and then you go to a league, and you jump against other Magikarps, and you see how high you can jump, and uh, if your number's bigger than the other number, you win. If it's lower, your Magikarp has to retire, because that's it. You lose once, and you're done, buddy. Uh, and then you get a new Magikarp, and his numbers can go higher, but they start lower. Uh, but thanks to all your items and stuff, your numbers will go higher faster, and then when you get the higher numbers, you can get even higher numbers, and then you get the currency. There's two. There's multiple currencies. There's always multiple currencies. And then you get the coins, and you can buy the things and the upgrades to make the numbers go higher on your previous berries, as well as buy new berries and new training stuff. Then you can get friends. Then you can level up your friends, and then they help you make the numbers go higher. And sometimes random things happen, and that makes the numbers go higher too. And the numbers are always getting higher. Higher, higher, higher. Uh, that's Magikarp Jump. Uh, it is a official Pokemon company app uh, idle slash clicker game starring Magikarp. You should probably not download it, uh, but if you do, you'll you know you'll have a good time. There's not feeding Magikarp berries while you take a poop. Something very viscerally entertaining about that. Uh, check it out. Anyway, uh, what else did I have written down here to talk today before I completely lose my voice? Uh, Fallout Four. I keep playing that damn game, so I'm trying to get through the DLC in that game because I feel like I I purchased it and I've heard good things. So let's friggin' do it. Uh, and I found the part of Fallout 4 that I hate. So I was like, I'm not going to do the settlements. I'm not going not gonna to pay attention to the settlements. not going to do them. Ended up establishing every settlement I came across. Uh, you know, got my, my network of supply lines across all of them. And then at a certain point, when Preston Garvey, that motherfucker, doesn't have any more settlements to tell you about, every time you log into the game or listen to the radio or talk to Preston Garvey, he's telling you about a kidnapping or that somewhere needs to be defended, and that's a never-ending loop. So you fire up the game, you end up getting sucked into doing two of those things, 
because you've spent so much time on your settlements, you don't want to see people get murdered. You do that for an hour, and then you don't want to play the game anymore. Uh, and that's the same thing that happened to me in my first Fallout 4 file. I'm realizing that now. That that totally burns you out on the game. Uh, so the best thing you can do is complete the the arbitrary two Radiant System missions that Preston Garvey gives you, and don't turn them in. Just go do what else you're going to do, and then when you're done playing for the day, or don't, uh, go turn those in for the EXP. Otherwise, you're just going to keep getting them. Someone's always being kidnapped. Someone's always being attacked. Uh, and that just burns you out on that game wholesale. Uh, that being said, what I've played of the DLC so far, uh, I've, you know, I've flagged the quest for all of them, but I've only really started playing the Vault DLC, where you build Vault 88, and a little bit of Farpoint, which seemed kind of neat. There's fish people. I'm a fan. Uh, that's alright. That, that Vault DLC seems crazy. There seems like a ton of stuff you can do in there. And then there's, of course, the Contraptions and Workshop DLC, which has its own achievements, which are kind of fun. Uh, and apparently you can make uh, machines that generate ammo and stuff like that, so I'm actually interested in, in doing something like that, because you definitely get some powerful guns that finding ammo for, even at shops when you're willing to pay a premium, is very difficult to do. So I'm going to get on that. Uh, I assume, can you craft ammo in that game like you could in New Vegas? Why don't I remember that? I've been playing this game for like 22 hours on this save file. I have no recollection if you can do that or not. Oh well. Uh, I'm currently trying to trap a cat. I don't know how long it's supposed to take, but I got some, some crab meat. And I've powered up a cat trap box. I'm waiting for a cat to wander by so I can have a cat. That'll be fun. That'll be a high point of my Fallout 4 career. That's something you couldn't do in previous Fallout games. Um, so looking forward to that. Also looking forward to playing some, uh, some Fire Emblem. I uh, have still been playing Pokemon Moon off and on because I am trying to catch them all. I swear to you. All right. <clears throat> so I was going to run down uh, upcoming releases here, uh, but we can kind of talk about what's what's out immediately. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, ARMS is out on the 16th at the end of E3, a new IP for your Switch. Uh, Nintendo has kind of turned all of their studios into one conglomerate, uh, where it's like, is this is from Nintendo Studio 1? Or Nintendo Studio 2. So ARMS is technically from the same people that made Zelda, I guess. But not. Uh, so that's weird now. It's hard to keep track. They used to have four studios. And you're like, that's the studio that does uh, shit. All the all the me-related games and the this. Okay. And this one does the Mario Kart and the that. And it was a little easier to... Uh... There's one studio that did all like the, the Wii Music and the Wii Party and all those games. was all, uh, all one studio. Which is why well, they all had that same quirk to them. Um, no more. Uh, so, looking ahead or to, de- to today, we have Dark Rose Valkyrie, we have uh, Cladden Returns, we have Dirt 4, Farming Sim 18, Wipeout Omega Collection for the PS4, Superbeat Zonic came over to the PS4, uh, Final Fantasy Stormblood is coming out on the 20th of June, Morrowind is out today, I don't know if those two games are in head-to-head competition in, in the West for MMOs, uh, but kind of ho-hum response to both from what I'm uh, understanding. Ever Oasis is out on the 23rd of June. Look into that game. Uh, it is from the director of the Mana series, and they're also the people that did all the uh, the remasters of Zelda for the 3DS. So there's a pedigree to that team, and they're making their own game. Check it out. RPG Maker Fez for North America is coming on the 27th. Valkyrie Revolution. Uh, I was just talking the other day about game series where they had one good game and kind of never stuck the landing after that. And I think Valkyria... I say Valkyrie? Valkyria Chronicles and its later releases, other than its re-release, have been diminishing returns, definitely. Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy will be out on the 30th, along with Tokyo Xanadu, one of those Japanese games getting ported over that I mentioned earlier. See, it's real. July 11th will bring us Final Fantasy XII, The Zodiac Age, which just sounds like it's stuffed with new features and will be kind of cool. Uh, they, Rob, are you listening? There are new features in uh, Final Fantasy XII that 
make it autoplay and make it way faster than it used to be. So the slog is gone, hopefully. And then we'll, t- we'll stop talking today at Splatoon 2 on July 21st uh, for your Switch. Alright, so, E3 press conferences. When can you watch them? Let's run it down, real quick. Electronic Arts is going first on Saturday. They are separate from E3. They are taking their ball... And they are going to do this on Saturday, and that starts at a uh, 12 p.m. Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time. At a certain point here, instead of splitting the difference and being like, this is West Coast, this is East Coast, can't we just do, I know I live there, so I'm, I'm partial to it, do Central time, and then you subtract or add hours on accordingly? What the hell? I know more people live on the coasts, but still. Uh, so that's when that's going down. Uh, I guess they do the GMT, so that, that covers it. On Sunday, Microsoft and Bethesda. Uh, Bethesda has not announced a time for their event, which is probably good because uh, they can make it go after Microsoft or before, I guess. Microsoft's going to be early. It's going to be at 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Bethesda, at some unspecified time after that, they will have a thing. Uh, Monday, the 12th, the PC Gaming Show will be at 10 a.m. Pacific time, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Ubisoft, the Cringe Fest, as as it were, uh, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 9 p.m. BST. Well, for whatever reason, BST is listed here instead of Eastern Time. Sony, uh, of course, Monday evening. Uh, make your E3 fort and, and settle in uh, at 6 p.m. Pacific Time or 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And then Nintendo buy its lonesome on June 13th at 9 a.m. PST, 5 p.m. BST. Again, why? Uh, and that's the Nintendo Spotlight. I don't know if they're doing a direct or they're doing some kind of hybrid thereof, uh, but that is the presser schedule. And of course, things will be announced and showcased all throughout the week. Uh, and I mean, and here's the big question: It comes from Kyle on Facebook, who asks, "Most anticipated announcement, game, whatever, uh, this year?" I, uh, I'd like to think that in my older age, <laughs> in my late twenties, I've become way more patient for game releases. Uh, when, when the Pokemon Direct happened earlier today, which we'll quickly run down, of course, uh, they announced Pokken Tournament is coming to the Switch. Uh, that'll be dropping on September 22nd, alongside Pokemon Gold and Silver for the eShop, which I am personally ex- excited for, because it's nice to play through one of those games again without having worried, uh, being worried about the, the clock being, you know, wiping the battery and you losing all of your progress. Um, so definitely picking up one of those again and going through it, because arguably the best Pokemon games of all time, maybe? Uh, and then, of course, Ultra Sun and Moon. Think Pokemon uh, Black and White 2 version, where it's kind of the same map, different set of Pokemon, different uh, different story, slightly altered story, um, taking place in the same universe. So I wasn't admittedly a huge fan of Black and White 2. I'm not sure I actually finished those games, and they might be the only Pokemon games I didn't actually play through. Uh, so that being said, maybe I, I'm not excited for Ultra Sun and Moon, depending on what else is out later this year. Uh, I'm just thinking November 17th is the release date for this. I don't know what the heck time I'm going to have to play it. Uh, so we'll see what, what happens. But, uh, so Nintendo got out in front and kind of announced that people were a little upset because they were expecting Pokemon Stars, which is the supposed, uh, special edition of Sun and Moon that was going to be on the Switch, as well as maybe a fourth gen uh, remake Diamond and Pearl being uh, being you know gussied up for the 3DS or maybe the Switch or maybe Ultra Sun and Moon being 3DS and Switch compatible, which seem would seem to make sense. Uh, but nope. Uh, so unless they have a further announcement to make or that's eventually happening, you know, 
hang in there, man. Patience. Uh, Nintendo is a wallet hitman. They're going to give you five things you didn't think you want that you're going to buy anyways, and then the sixth thing they announced you're going to buy, and that's the thing you wanted. That's how Nintendo works and always has. Be patient. It'll come. Unless it's a Metroid game, then you will be waiting forever. You will be a literal skeleton. Uh, so... Uh, when it comes when it comes to E3 announcements, uh, I, I don't want to say that that I'm jaded to the whole thing. Uh, I do get hyped. I, it can still happen, uh, but when when people really build up that oh man, this is going to happen, this is going to be released, and then they're kind of deflated when it doesn't, uh, you have to consider that you're you're basing a lot of your hype on relative nothingness of, of magic of the fact that it's E3 and if they're going to do it, they're going to do it now, and that's not always the case. Uh, many times you're like man. In this case, my my feeling on the on the matter is that Microsoft has their back against the wall. Uh, that people who bought an Xbox One, the, the friggin' things are still selling, so whatever. Uh, but the first party games kind of being sold as well on Windows 10 kind of takes the the need to own uh, a console out of the mix. Where Sony has games coming out like like Horizon, uh, like Last Guardian, that you can only play on that console. You cannot play them on PC. And as well as it has all the third-party games, Xbox doesn't have that going for it. So the Scorpio is going to be their big thing, the most powerful home console of all time that isn't a PC technically. Uh, what does that mean? Like, is it just a more powerful Xbox One? Or are there going to be exclusive games to this? And again, you, you've said it. Everything's going to come out day and date basically on Windows 10 as well. So sell me on why I need something that plugs into a television that isn't a PC at this point. If, if, if you're Microsoft. Uh, so... You know, previously there was that one year where they announced like Phantom Dust and uh, Scalebound and all those games. You're like, oh shit, they're bringing it. Uh, when they announced Tomb Raider was going to be a timed exclusive, that's kind of more of what you you want to see. And, and then you kind of boil it down. Look at that E3 specifically, where it's like, man, Microsoft, yeah, all right, Scalebound's canceled. Phantom Dust didn't come out. They did a remaster because they felt obligated to. Um, Halo ended up sucking. I don't know how people feel about Halo 5 Guardians, but I thought it was super weak, uh, and and I was not driven to finish that in any way in the multiplayer. Uh, you know, that new huge skirmish mode where you redeem cards for weapons and stuff seemed neat, but I could not give a crap. Uh, they seem to, you know, from Xbox to Xbox 360 to now, that they're getting these new development teams on these, these IPs that maybe need to be retired with the generation, like... Where's the next Halo? Where's the next Gears game? Uh, you know, look at Sony recently, and I've been giving them a hard time because their first-party games are, are kind of hit and miss too, and, you you know, Naughty Dog's still doing an Uncharted game, still doing a Last of Us 2, and by the time, you know, the PS4 is done, that could be all they have done is, is sequels, but something like a Horizon comes along, and you're like, okay, yeah, totally, totally new IP, something you can sequelize on this console, uh, you know, something that's all your own, uh, that, that borrows from this and that, but it, but is is you know now you know it's Sony that that's a Sony property. You want to play Horizon? You saw that somewhere. There's only one place you can play it. Xbox doesn't have that, and that's what they need to bring. Uh, so I'll be you know watching them very carefully. Uh, Sony's gonna have you know their big their big theater thing. They have tons of games that we've seen very little of. Uh, things like God of War. That yeah, let's see more of that. That's cool. Uh, they're always gonna have the build the list thing where they're bringing back. Uh, indie games or games of yesteryear and get people hyped that way, get the older crowd uh, ready to download those games for 20 bucks or whatever they're going to be, and then totally new IPs, uh, things that they're going to you know, hopefully Sony, and I want to see Sony do this more than anyone uh, bring on more, you know, throw that money at Japanese uh, third parties, more exclusive Capcom stuff 
uh, in the vein of, of a Street Fighter, let's say, just as a, a random example. Uh, I want to see if, if Sony and Microsoft are in this, you know, arms race for the most powerful console, the most popular console outside of Nintendo. Uh, let's let's get let's get dirty about it. Why not? Uh, I want to I want to see a Bethesda game straight up be exclusive to one of the two consoles, and I could see it being Microsoft. I could see them at some point being like, guess what? Elder Scrolls Six, Xbox One, and Windows Ten only. Uh, it's you know, it's a crazy PC game. It needs all these spec requirements, and guess what? Uh, the Scorpio can handle it. That 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 is more what I what I'm looking for out of those. Otherwise, it's always the swerves. It's always the things I'm not expecting that I'm most hyped for. The thing I'm most excited for at E3, I don't know what it is. Uh, it's the thing that's just gonna kind of fall in your lap. Is always is always the next. You know, people like to th- like to say sequels to games they liked. People are like Okami too, uh, and things like that. Sure, that that's great. Uh, but the thing is always the thing that you're not expecting is always going to be the the best thing to come out of E3. Uh, of course, if you need to see what Nintendo has, uh, if they announced things far far in the future, get people excited for a Switch long term. Uh, because right now, after Mario supposedly coming out in the holiday season, we we don't really know what the future of that console is. Kind of announce whatever is happening to the virtual console or the online games collection or whatever the hell you're going to talk about. Uh, you know, get people hyped for that. Obviously, they have aces up their sleeves with things like announcing a Smash Brothers uh, Wii U Deluxe or something like that on the console, and they can pull that out at any time. Uh, and you, they're methodical, like I said, Wallet Hitman. Uh, something from Ubisoft, I don't know. Far Cry is a cool game. Far Cry Five should be neat. I, whatever. Assassin's Creed doesn't really do it for me anymore. Uh, Ubisoft, let's let's see a new IP. I don't know. Matt, you know, Watch Dogs Two is a huge improvement uh on Watch Dogs 1 they they tend to come out of the gate with with their open world stuff or their action games uh and really kind of you know get people hyped for it with with things that you hadn't previously uh seen announced even something like Steep was like yeah okay uh and then you play it and you're like you know what it is different it is something new they they tried uh for what it's worth and uh and the like uh EA I mean I'll say it right now Star Wars was it 1313 an open world Star Wars game that appeals to me. Uh, so um, I go back to my dream game, which is like a, a open-world GTA-esque game set in the Blade Runner universe, which was what I thought Prey 2 was going to be before it was canned. Something like that uh, sounds really exciting to me. I just like uh, the idea of uh, using the, the video game console hardware we have now to, to build these big worlds uh, that you can... Uh, you can uh, like Something like Remember Me is a game I vastly enjoyed because of the attention to detail in the, in the set building and in the, in the environments in which you inhabit. Uh, so games like that, uh, I guess Cyberpunk from uh, uh, CD Projekt, let's say, if I see some Cyberpunk, I'll be happy. Even though I'm not admittedly a huge fan of The Witcher, I think Cyberpunk looks cool, and I think the setting will uh, will win me over. So stuff like that. Uh, I, yeah. Shit. I, I can't think of a game series or, or something like that that is underserved right now that I'm like, where the hell is it that isn't Nintendo? Uh, or isn't something like Metroid, where it's just like, hey man, the 3DS is, you know, you say you're still supporting it, but let's say it has two, three years at most before you really need to do something to release something with a little more oomph, and there hasn't been a Metroid, a traditional Metroid game on this console? That's upsetting. I, I don't even consider myself, like, the biggest Metroid fan, but I've enjoyed every one I've played that's been a side-scroller, and it seems criminal uh, that that's not happened. So, I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll use my one wish... Uh, Genie to say, let's get a Metroid game happening on the Switch or the 3DS or the something. Uh, and that's it. I've uh, I've exhausted my voice here talking to an hour to myself, and uh, I'm gonna go uh, I'm gonna go play some Tekken. Uh, Chris's game just crashed, so it's the perfect time to end the podcast. Uh, as always. 
you want to interact with the show, you can leave a comment anywhere. Uh, Facebook.com slash TurnbaseTech, at TurnbaseTech on Twitter, or hit me up on email, Lee at TurnbaseTech.com, or TitsTheIceberg.com. That'll both get to me. Uh, have a good one. We will be back either during E3 or shortly after to talk about everything we've seen, and we'll do a proper TurnbaseTech, and Rob will be here, and everything will be happy. Uh, we will talk to you then.